0: Hello, and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Hello, empaths. Today, we're going to be talking about healing through nature with our wonderful guest and friend, Asia Suler. Asia is an herbalist, nature writer, spiritual educator, ecological philosopher, social media figure, and entrepreneur. As a teacher in the realms of herbalism and earth spirituality, she has taught for the most well-known herbal programs in the country, including the Chestnut School of Herbal Medicine, the Northwest School of Botanical Medicine, and the Blue Ridge School of Herbal Medicine. She has guided more than 10,000 people through her various online programs, and now has a fantastic new book out called Mirrors in the Earth, Reflections on Self-Healing from the Living World. Welcome back to the show, Asia. Thank you so much
1: for having me. I'm so delighted to be here with you too.
0: Oh, we're so excited too. I know how this book was birthed into being, but can you share with listeners how you decided to put so much of your knowledge, but also your own experiences into this beautiful book? So I started writing this book 10 years ago. And I,
1: all I knew at the time was that there was a book that wanted to move through me. There was a book that wanted to come through, but I couldn't really figure out what the unifying theme was. I kept having these amazing experiences in nature and these big moments of growth and realization. And I would write these stories down, but I, I couldn't see that unifying theme. And so it really took me probably like four years of starting and discarding drafts before I finally had... Really the light bulb moment where I realized what the heart of the book was really about, which is this idea that learning, self-compassion and self-acceptance is how we bring our gifts to the earth. It is itself a form of ecological healing. And what I was really receiving from the natural world over and over again were these moments of deep affirmation, of showing me and reflecting back to me just how natural I am and how much I belong. And so the book is really written for other empaths and highly sensitive people to be able to look into the benevolent mirror of the earth and see themselves reflected there and start to understand that this journey of really learning how to value oneself and hold compassion for one's own journey is the very thing that ends up giving you the ability to bring your gifts to this world. And so- from that perspective the earth is constantly trying to show us our goodness and our belonging because at the end of the day self compassion is a force of ecological healing so that is what the book is about and you know i had collected all these stories of sort of these moments of realization in the natural world and i have i wrote out a whole draft it took me several years i wrote out a whole draft of the book with these stories in them and I sent it to Samantha because Samantha was my writing buddy and we were exchanging chapters of the books that we were respectively working on. And she read the chapters and was like, Asia, this is beautifully written. And like, these concepts are really interesting, but like, where is your personal story? So I had, you know, I had written about these moments, kind of having these realizations in nature, but my own story of my own development and realizations and you know, just the long road of my own personal life wasn't really in there at all. And I really took her advice to heart. I was like, yeah, where is my story? And I realized that like a big part of why I hadn't put my personal story in the book is because I still was struggling with this concept that my story was worthy, that my story was something that was worthy of being heard and seen, and that my story had value. So going back into the book, rewriting it, which again, took me a few years and adding my personal story into these parables from the living world really was kind of the the final movement for me in the healing that this book was creating for me in my life and the self-recognition and self-acceptance that I was coming to through writing it. So yeah, that is the process of how this book came into being and Samantha, I'm so grateful to you for that really powerful insight that actually changed the whole nature of this book and made it something that is so much more powerful than it would have been otherwise.
0: I am so glad because I remember we would share, was it every two weeks or every month we would share our writing and and we'd give feedback. And Asia, you always give me great feedback. And my feedback to Asia was always like, this is amazing. This is really well. I didn't know what to say because every (laughs) word, it was like poetry in a book form, you know? And uh, I just kept thinking about all the times we've talked and all the stories you've shared starting with your journey at college when nature really spoke to you. And and I just was like, I just want that in there too. I want Asia in here, you know, because I love your personal stories. So I'm, I'm really glad you added that, but the book was perfect as is before that. I promise you.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I'm, I'm grateful to you for pushing me to do that because it was healing on so many levels. Well, it's beautiful. Go ahead, Denise. I'll let you jump in. Well,
2: What's beautiful about this book, too, is you intertwine the importance of reconnecting with nature to really heal that deep stuff that maybe some of us don't want to look at or don't know how to access to free up. And all of your stories interwoven through and your connection with nature. And I absolutely love that you broke it into the three sections of seeing yourself, appreciating yourself and giving yourself to the world. Because I think that's what we're all trying to do right now as empaths is say, this is who I am. I have to value that. And how can I help with this transition? But one of my favorite stories in this, one of my favorite segments was when you talked about soul retrieval and the shamanic experience, but also with the the moon ceremony that you did. Mm. Would you mind sharing that story?
1: That story is from um, a chapter that is, it's about, Trauma and the way trauma functions in our lives. And it's about the way we can really learn how to see and value our own beauty and resiliency in the ways that we meet these traumas that naturally occur. The way that I present it is through looking at the lens of the seasons on Earth. So the seasons on Earth, we take them as a given that we have so much diversity in our seasons, you know, except for a narrow band around the equator you know, most of the earth has these seasonal shifts. And because we have these seasonal shifts, we have such a huge diversity of life forms. You know, if we didn't have the seasons, if we didn't tip towards and away from the sun, like we do actually much of the earth would be uninhabitable. And the reason why we have the seasons is that there was a huge collision in the early formation of our planet with a, a rocky orb named Theia. So this huge collision knocked Our planet off course. It was was such a gigantic impact that it turned our planet spontaneously molten for a period of time. And ultimately what ended up happening was it skewed our axis. And from that collision, pieces of the earth flew off and formed the moon. And so from this perspective and this way of thinking about it, it's like the traumas that we've experienced in our life are like these huge collisions that have happened to us early in our formation. And even though I mean, on a, on a visceral level, I really felt that description of being turned molten and being, you know, spontaneously thrown off course, even though it can feel like that with the things that we have moved through, how we end up responding to those traumas is the very beauty that we see reflected in the seasons, that it creates the same kind of just diversity and gorgeousness really within our own selves and, and characters that we see displayed around us in the seasons. And so there's a part in that chapter where I talk about communing with the moon as the moon being this guide that resulted from this giant impact. And I think that when we move through these challenging times in our life, you know, oftentimes it does open up this ability to see into the unseen and to start communicating with the guides that are present in our lives that really come into our lives to help us through these really challenging times. And so I talk in that chapter about how, you know, when I was in college, I was dealing with a a chronic pain condition and I I often felt very lonely. And so there was one time when I snuck out of my dorm room to go into the little like scraggly patch of woods nearby to talk to the moon. You know, I had been reading about like these other ways of like living on the earth and i had reading about these ideas of you know having earth based ceremony and and speaking to the moon um you know as a guide and and as someone who's there for you and so i like gathered up some i think some sweet grass to burn and i like snuck out because i didn't want people to know what i was doing and i snuck into the woods and you know sat down with my back to this tree and just looked up at the moon and had this profound moment of just really feeling the grandmotherly presence of this moon. And I just started speaking out loud, all of the things that I had not been able to say or communicate before then. So, you know, all the things that I didn't feel I could say to all the different doctors I was seeing to try and figure out, you know, what was going on with me in this chronic pain, the things I couldn't say to my boyfriend at the time, to my friends, like all the stuff that I had just really kept so wound so tightly inside of me. I just started speaking it all out loud. And as I was speaking it all out loud, like tears just started streaming down my face because I could feel like the reflected light of the moon on my face and on my hands. And it just felt like this benediction from this grandmother who was saying like everything, everything is okay. And the things that you're moving through now and the things that have happened to you, they aren't things that have damaged you beyond repair. Like you're not wounded, And, you know, you're not forgotten. You're not forsaken. um, You are still being taken care of and you are going to continue to be supported as you lean into healing and as you walk on this healing path. And, you know, if I could just go back and like hug myself at that time and say like, things get better, you know, things will get better. But that is exactly what the moon was saying to me at that moment. And I just think having these small rituals to connect to the natural world and speak to the natural world. It's, it's phenomenal. Sometimes the, the messages of affirmation and support and hope that can come through with just something as simple as sitting with your back to a tree and talking to the moon.
0: Mm, that's so true. And that's what I love about your book is you, you use the natural world to help people navigate the ups and downs of their own life When I work in my garden, I think about this one section of your book where you talk about the need to prune and how you used to feel guilty, like trimming your flowers and herbs back. And yet you talk about how in our own lives, we have to sometimes do that. Can you mention that story? This chapter
1: is, I think the first chapter in the book about gardening and boundaries. (laughs) And this one definitely goes out there to all my fellow empaths and highly sensitive people because- as empaths and HSPs from a very young age, we're often taught that actually us having boundaries is not a good thing. It's not something that is acceptable or that our caregivers want from us or that the, the wider world is appreciating from us. So, you know, empaths, we kind of are naturally boundaryless, and it's a beautiful thing to be such an edge walker. You know, it's a really beautiful thing. It's, it's what gives empaths the ability to feel into the experience of a tree or be able to have just the right words to say to someone who's hurting or to communicate with the unseen world. And it often means that our experience of ourselves and our reality gets really kind of muddled and interwoven with other people's experiences. Like you start really questioning, like, what is me versus what is not me? And this is like just foundational, I think, to the empath's path. And yet, you know, boundaries are so essential To actually becoming the people we're meant to become on this planet and giving our gifts. Like if we if we cannot value ourselves, then how are those gifts supposed to really land on this planet? And gardens really teach us how to do this. So if anyone who's listening is anything like me, at some point you probably felt guilty about drawing boundaries. Like it's my job or my role to always be there for someone or you know energetically be available at all times and yet gardens show us that if you want a truly flourishing space, a space where you know the flowers bloom and the fruit comes to fruition, you need to hold boundaries. So any gardener knows that if you want great abundance and beauty in the garden, you're gonna have to weed and cut and cull and prune and you know, obviously, wild spaces are are beautiful too. But wild spaces aren't gardens. You know, gardens are, are spaces where we are consciously co-creating with the planet, and often to create more beauty, more nourishment, and more abundance. And I, I I see our lives as gardens, like our lives are gardens, and we are the gardeners, and we get to decide what grows in those gardens. And you know, having a garden, like being, being given like a corner of the canvas of the earth and being given full permission to create and like your life and your body, this is your canvas and this is your garden. And so, you know, being empowered to know that drawing boundaries, saying no to the things that, you know, really feel like a no to you so that you can say yes to the things you want to say yes to so that you can say yes to the things that want to grow. That not only is that really like a huge part of the empaths learning journey and path and why we're here, but it's something that is deeply supported by the earth. The earth is saying, yes, I want you to learn how to hold these boundaries and and hold yourself in love through having boundaries, because that is how you really shine and give your gifts to this planet. That is so
2: beautiful. Thank you you mentioned the American chestnuts in your book, you know, the ghost of the, of the the chestnut ghost. And years ago, I, I ran an employability program for students that I worked with, and we were given chestnut seeds to try to repopulate the chestnut population here in New England. And we nurtured these, and we had these seedlings, and I was running, we were growing organic seedlings in the program, and oh we took care of them nurtured them and they and there was this big ceremony where they were brought back out and we found these people that were going to grow them and there was a it was a technical high school so they had a forestry and wood harvesting program that was going to go plant them so it, and i was so excited i was so so excited to be part of bringing these trees back So they did this big ceremony and they took pictures for the local paper and all these things. And then I talked to one of the students in the program and said, we just threw the rest of those away because, you know, they're just junk trees. (gasps) And I thought, oh, dear God, how could you have that mindset of any tree being a junk tree? So I had some remaining ones and I found key people in the county and I know where the trees are. I check on them every now and again and they're growing and they're coming back. But I think that mindset of, I I personally think when you walk into the woods and you feel that stillness, the energy of those trees is still there. And and we have to have to tap into that right now in order to help with the healing of the planet. So what is your take on that?
1: Well, first of all, that's heartbreaking that they felt that way. That's very confusing to me that they felt that way. Um, Yeah, because so for anyone who doesn't know, The American chestnut was an iconic tree here on this continent. You know, at at one point in time, like one out of every three trees was an American chestnut tree here on the eastern seaboard. And it it dominated the forest. And it was a really important tree for so many different species. So it produced a mast of nuts that fed all kinds of creatures, you know, from, from humans to squirrels to bobcats and turkeys. And it just... It was a tree that, you know, really fed many different nations. And was a tree, you know, often the the way it's talked about now in the like the human community is that it was a tree of the rural poor, that it was a tree that really it fed folks who were, you know, living out of the cities, who were living, you know, off the land. And it was a really important source of nourishment, you know, not just in in recorded history here but throughout prehistory and there's ample evidence that the native people who have called this continent home since the beginning that indigenous peoples actually planted these food forests that they tended these forests and and continue to tend them and that that the chestnut has been and was like a an essential aspect of feeding life here on this continent and in the early 1900s there was a, a blight that stowed away on a boat from China and came here and quickly destroyed most of the chestnut trees here on this continent. I mean, if you can imagine within a span of, I think it was like 20 years, one third of the forest died. And it was this really, it was very dramatic because the blight causes these these like bright red, like cantankerous lesions on the tree. So it literally looked like the hillsides were going up in fire. And on a very real level, that is what then happened to a lot of communities. It was like this huge forest fire where they lost so much history, but also the ability to feed and nourish themselves. And and where I live in in Southern Appalachia, people still talk about the chestnut trees. Like folks who've, who've lived here in these mountains for a long time with their families, they still talk about the trees and what was lost. So what's been amazing though, And this, this chapter in the book is, it's a lot about the, the magic of the word possibility and believing in possibilities. And so one really magical thing that has happened with the chestnut tree, the American chestnut is that the American chestnut foundation um, spent many years over a decade crossbreeding the American chestnut with the Chinese chestnut, which is resistant to the blight because that's where the blight originated. And they basically developed a hybrid that's, I forget the exact percentage, but you know, upwards of 90% or more genetically the American chestnut with just enough of the Chinese chestnut to give it blight resistance. And so now these seedlings, like you mentioned in these are like going out all over the country And being replanted and the amazing thing about the chestnut tree is it's such a good like remediation tree, which might be one reason why the students said what they said, which is that it, it can be planted in very barren places. Like for example, places that, um, mountaintop removal has been enacted that the chestnut tree can be replanted there and help reclaim that land. So it's, you know, to me, the chestnut is an emblem of the power of believing in hope and possibility. And this concept that it's not naive to believe in possibility. It's the very force that then frees up the imagination and the creativity that helps us find these these solutions to these very real world problems. So I think it's just such a gift that you were able to interact with the chestnuts and thank you for doing your part to reclaim them and, and give the ones that you had left to those who could really see and appreciate their value um, because they are absolutely elders here on the landscape and actually with the blight what it does is it kills the tree when it gets to be a mature age so you will still see chestnut seedlings coming up from the roots these roots that are hundreds of years old they're still sprouting seedlings throughout the woods which is just such an amazing thing and so that that is to me like the definition of hope springs eternal and yeah it's a beautiful exercise, um, especially if you live in a part of the country here um, in the United States, where the chestnuts once really dominated to just go in the woods and speak to them. Because like you said, Denise, like their energy is still here. They are still very much elders in this ecosystem. And I think that my personal feeling is that they have a lot of wisdom to share with us of how to basically move through apocalypse, you know, how to move through big time of grief and loss and still come out on the other side thank you because i think that to me they're almost a a guide
2: to help us reconnect with the the earth will provide for us if we get out of the way and pay attention and you know people are starting to forage now they're starting to you know look for native foods and mushrooms and i think personally if you tap in with that chestnut energy that tree, that knowledge that ancient knowledge will come down through you and help you become more interconnected with being able to take care of yourself and it's not just rural poverty or it's it's just that interconnection
1: yes, yeah, absolutely I totally agree thank
0: you how has now that you've burst this book into being, how has it been received? What is some of the feedback you're getting from readers? Some of my favorite feedback
1: so far has just been people telling me that they feel seen. And to me, that's like, I couldn't ask for like a more beautiful or meaningful sentiment because my whole experience in writing this book was an experience of recognizing that I was seen by the natural world and then therefore learning how to see myself through that mirror, which is why I named the book Mirrors in the Earth. So I have had a lot of feedback from folks saying that they really felt seen. By reading this book and through being seen by the natural world, really coming to recognize themselves and appreciate themselves for who they are. And I think probably most of the people who are reading this book or have read this book would identify as empaths. And I think that as empaths, we are so overtuned often to other people and other energies and it's such a gift when we can bring the amazing attunement that we have like it's such a such a skill that empaths have to to attune so brilliantly to other people it's and so it's it's really powerful when we bring that same level of attunement and turn it inwards to see ourselves because empaths are really special people who are here to give really profound gifts on this planet. And so I do think that the earth is particularly invested in helping empaths really see and value themselves because I think the gifts that empaths naturally carry are extraordinary. So yeah, that's some of my my most favorite feedback that I've gotten so far about the book.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful feedback. I always, every time I read parts of your book and I go back to it and go back to it, I take something different each time but i notice that when i'm reading it i slow down do you know what i mean like like my thoughts and my gotta do this gotta do this gotta go to this to-do list something about your writing is so poetic as i said before but it's just this gentle reminder i need to not only hold up that mirror from nature but to go out in nature Hmm. you know to stay connected to nature because i think we can get so caught up in the busyness of it So for any empaths who are living in a busy time of their life or they're in a crowded city, what are some tips you'd have for them to be at one with nature?
1: I would say, so I talk in the book
0: about the fact that
1: my love for the natural world really flourished when I was living in New York City. (laughs) and and I was in my early 20s and I was I think I was holding down like three jobs at the time. So, I definitely knew what it was to be busy and also to live in an urban environment and some of my richest experiences, like very profound experiences of connection just came from just taking a walk. Just a 20-minute walk just down the street and to connect with the trees that were planted on the street maybe to to spy any any weeds that were growing in in the between the concrete you know dandelion's or or chickweed to to go to the parks and just walk around in the parks and one of the things that i think is so beautiful about living in a city is that the the plants there are really hungry to connect so we are we are part of nature right like we're not separate from nature we are nature and if you think about a city you know there there is limited i'll say wildlife there and so in a cityscape we are the forest that the trees want to connect to we are nature and so of course you know the the trees and the waters and the creatures in in a cityscape will want to communicate with you because you are part of nature and nature wants to be in relationship with its own self in in communion and communication so to really empower yourself with that feeling when you go out for a walk, especially if you live in an urban space that you are nature, you are part of nature. And so these beings of nature, especially in a city, sometimes they're lonely and they really want to connect. So there's a deep desire and invitation for connection there. And I think we often feel like we need like endless or ample amounts of time to have these like profound experiences. Like, well, if I'm going to have a profound experience, I probably need to take like three days off work and go like camp out in the wilderness by myself and ask for a vision. And I mean, that's amazing. That's great when you get a chance to do that. But I can say right now as a mother to a new baby who is six months old, I do not get very long blocks of time to do basically anything And I have really, it has really hit home for me. And really, I've really realized that 20 minutes can do so much to open up a line of dialogue and connection. Like, if I just get 20 minutes to go sit outside and, you know, sit on the big boulder that's in my garden and just feel my roots sinking down into that boulder, just become present take a moment to just appreciate the beauty around me. Just appreciation itself opens up this line of connection and communication. 20 minutes can totally refresh me. It can totally reconnect me. And so it's something I am constantly reminding of myself now because yeah, I don't have big blocks of time at this time in my life, but I want to carry that with me into the rest of my life to just remember that it's really more about the the quality of the presence
0: that you bring to the moment than it is about the quantity of time. Such a great reminder. And I love the way you say we are nature and they want to connect with us too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We are, we are the forest as well. Mm-hmm.
2: I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up mushrooms because <laughs> I have a dear friend who is an herbalist and we joke because I'll, bring something up. And then the, the response will be, oh, there's a mushroom for that. So, <laughs> and, and I, I love it because she's spot on. And, and it's so fascinating because I think the fungi is such an important part of everything, but that's one of your chapters in the book as well. Could, could you just maybe go, because it, you, you intertwine it beautifully with how we have to reconnect and you use that chapter. So I think our listeners would love to hear some of that.
1: Fungi? Okay. It's so interesting because, you know, we sort of lump fungi and plants together, but actually they are so dissimilar that we are more evolutionarily connected with fungi than plants are. <laughs> so, fungi, it's its own whole kingdom. And it's incredibly fascinating because actually, before plants, really got a hold here on this planet, fungi dominated the earth. Like we're talking like old growth tree-like structures of mushrooms um, that existed in large forests here on this planet. And the fungi really were the ones who came in first and helped turn the mineral of this world into you know, usable nutrients for the plants. So the fungi really are are the bedrock of life, occurring here on this planet. And of course, plants are what made it possible for us as humans to be here. Um, So in the book, I talk about this concept of mushrooms, which are the, you can kind of consider mushrooms like the flower of fungi. It's like mushrooms are the fruiting body that erupt out of this unseen underground network of fungi that under underlies our world, this mycelium that underlines our world. And so, you know, what mushrooms really do and what fungi does is they break down what's dying and recycle it back into the ecosystem so that new life forms can be born. And so from this perspective, the invitation in the book is to start to see ourselves as people who are born at this time on the planet, as these beautiful blooms of mushrooms, that instead of getting stuck in a place of grief and loss and and hopelessness of thinking, well, you know, like extinction is, you know, accelerating at a rapid pace, you know, so is global warming. To see those things and to grieve them is, is natural and is human and is important. But when we get stuck in there, we, we then lack the ability to see that we are here to be mushrooms. We're here to take the compost of what is dying And turn that into the rich soil that will nourish what is here to be born. And, you know, it's something I've seen with working with, you know, many different people now around the world. Oftentimes there's this part of us that knows that we're here for a reason. There's a part of us that knows that it wasn't an accident being here at this time. And that even though we're surrounded by all these stories of death and destruction, that there's this like niggling sense that also something really profound is happening right now, something really big and powerful and healing, and that we came here to be a part of that, that that's like why we decided to come be in these bodies at this time on this planet. And so I just think the the fungi and the mushrooms are such a good... Like parable and role model for us to recognize the gifts that we are here to carry within us that we have the ability to do that kind of alchemy here on this planet at this time and really the way that we do that is by tuning into the truth of who we are with compassion and acceptance and when we can do that it's like our gifts are just the the mushrooms that just naturally flourish into the world and do that alchemy for us That That is is
0: so lovely. Thank you. Do you see what I mean about the poetry, Denise?
2: (laughs) Very much
1: so.
0: It's just right there. Are you working on anything new right now? Or are you going to just let this this book be what it is for a moment? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I, I
1: remember hearing some authors say this. And I can't remember who it was. But they were like, are you nervous when your book comes out in the world? And they were like, no, because might've been Elizabeth Gilbert, but she was like, no, because I am already working on the next one. And it helps me be less nervous because I'm kind of already, you know, one foot into the next project. So, you know, as I mentioned, I have a little baby, so time is scarce. So mostly right now it's dreaming, but, um, I do have several different book projects that I've been like researching and, and sort of dipping in and out of. And I imagine that they'll take me a good handful of years to, to see into fruition. But it's interesting what you said about poetry, because I'm considering having my my next thing I put out into the world while I'm working on sort of a longer, more research um, rich project to be a book of poetry. So we'll see, we'll see whether, whether that happens or not. But it's been very healing for me to, to sort of drop back into just poetry for poetry's sake it was my first love in writing i was you know i was a poet up until my mid 20s when i started learning how to you know write things like you know articles and essays and newsletters and up until that point like poetry was my main form of expression so i really feel like mirrors in the earth is like helped me kind of return to this this very like young and nascent part of me that just loves poetry so Yeah. I'll be curious to see if I do end up putting out a collection into the world. We'll see.
0: Oh, well, I hope you do. I will be your first reader on it. (laughs) (laughs) And on your website, people can access so many online classes. You've got a fantastic blog on there. You offer wonderful products. Is there anything you want to highlight on your website? One thing I'd love to highlight is, so on my website, there
1: is a free quiz that will help you learn about your earth healing archetype. So, you know, I've worked with thousands of people around the world and I noticed that there are sort of five key archetypes, archetypical energy that that we tend to embody that it's it's each archetype is a, a being in nature and when we learn about what that archetype is, we can really start to understand like how we're supposed to give our gifts to the world, what those gifts look like, how they manifest. So that quiz is totally free. And then if you resonate with the archetype that you get through the quiz, there's also a a completely free class that's associated with that. So you can learn even more about that particular archetype. And it's been really cool because we've had like hundreds of thousands of people at this point take the quiz. So we've had a lot of like testing to see how it lands with people. And it's just really amazing to see how much learning about your archetype can really help like open these huge portals of, of realization and revelation for you in your life. And so that's been really neat to witness. And I'm, I'm always fascinated to hear about people's experience with the quiz in the course. So if that's something that's of interest to anyone, then that
0: is on the website as well. That is a great quiz. Denise and I both took it and we were like, holy cow, this is so accurate. I'm, did we talk about this before? I'm very curious what your archetypes are. Yeah, I can't remember what mine exact name was, but yeah, we did talk about it. And Denise and I got different ones, but they explained us perfectly. Do you remember yours, Denise? It-
2: I don't, but it was it was the one connected with more of the shamanic type energy. I can't remember the, vein, the name yeah, of it. Yeah,
1: the vein of gold. So, and it,
2: you know, it's an amazing, because it's not a really laborious quiz to go through. And it's a very fun because the questions, you just automatically answer them. But then when you get your results, it's like, holy shit, how did that all pull together? To <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Samantha, were you an old growth tree?
0: Yes. that, that Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> how did you remember? Or no, that's perfect. I love it.
1: Yeah, so I think everyone... I remembered, but also just knowing you two, that would have been my guess. So it just makes <laughs> sense. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So if you guys go to One Willow Apothecaries, you can, that quiz is right there. The second you go to her website. And it's just a beautiful site. And there's so much. And the online classes, most of them are instant downloads, right? Yeah. All of them know. are. Okay. That's fantastic. And don't forget to follow her on social media as well. You can find her on Facebook and Instagram. Are you on TikTok yet? No, not on TikTok. I'm on YouTube. Ooh. I have not made the TikTok leap yet. But they're <laughs> trying to yeah. get me on TikTok. I am really pushing back on that.
1: <laughs> You'll have to tell me how it goes if you make the leap. It does, it seems like a whole other world that i I'm, I'm not sure that I have the ability to enter right now, but <laughs> it does. <laughs> but <laughs> I enjoy watching TikTok videos. There's some oh,
0: really yeah. good ones on there. <laughs> Yeah, you can go down a rabbit hole for sure. Well, thank you so much, Asia, for coming on. We really appreciate your time. And I love this book so much. I know Denise did too. Everyone I've talked to has just enjoyed it. And everyone takes something different away from it, which is the gift of this book. You know what I mean? Like People really start journaling more. They start taking walks outside more one of my friends who I shared your book with started her garden again. So everyone takes something different, which I think is so beautiful.
1: That's so wonderful. Well, thank you for that reflection, Samantha. I feel like you are absolutely, absolutely a mirror reflecting back to folks just how, how beautiful and special and worthy they are. So it's just Mm -hmm. an honor to be here with you and with you as well denise this is such a profound and beautiful podcast and it's just an honor to be back here with you
0: thank you thank Thank you. you so much thank you and thank you everyone for listening we will post in the show notes and on our facebook page more information with links on how you can connect with asia and order her book you can find it anywhere books are sold. So we certainly hope that you check it out. It is just a beautiful book. We will put in the show notes and links on our social media pages where you can find more about Asia. Her book is Mirrors in the Earth, Reflections on Self-Healing from the Living World. Please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light.